Blog Talk Radio. Welcome into the Warehouse, a show which covers the Baltimore Orioles and Major League Baseball. The Warehouse is part of BSL Radio. Baltimore Sports and Life is dedicated to analysis and discussion on the Orioles, Baltimore Ravens, and the University of Maryland. The site has a team of writers providing coverage of those teams and houses live streaming content weekly. Join the conversations at the message board, like BSL on Facebook, and follow BSL on Twitter. On Twitter. What's going on, everybody? This is Brandon Warren, your host for The Warehouse, episode number five, brought to you by Baltimore Sports and Life. I am joined, as always, by Bob Harkins in sunny L.A. Bob, how's it going? Uh, it's great, Brandon, but you threw me with the sunny part because it's actually miraculously cloudy today. I don't know what's what going on. What in the world? On. I think we got your weather here in Minnesota. It's sunny in a high 60s, low 70s, pretty beautiful. Went out and watered the flowers this morning, and I tell you what, it's been... Awfully nice the last couple of days here. Not not so much for the baseball team in town, which we'll talk about a little bit because the Orioles came through and steamrolled them for a couple of games last week. But nice weather going on. I'm a little surprised we've switched uh, we've switched shoes this week, but who knows? Maybe uh, maybe you'll get a little better weather here going on pretty quick. I'm not too worried about it on my end. <laughs> I think I'll be fine. <laughs> so today we're going to be breaking down again. I know it's, it's just middle of May or May 19th. You could even call mid to late May if you felt like it. We're going to fast forward a little bit to, to late July, right around the trade deadline. And, you know, think about maybe, maybe hypothetically where the Orioles will be at that time and what will make sense for them. We will be joined by a special guest here. I think in about 20 minutes, Mike Axisa, one of my former colleagues at Fangraphs works at CBS sports on the baseball side of things and does river Avenue blues, for Yankees stuff, uh, he's a big Yankees fan, but a very good baseball mind to follow. I believe he's uh, Mike Exisa, all one word on Twitter. But we'll get it from him first and foremost to find out exactly his, his Twitter handle. But I'm pretty excited to have Mike on today. Uh, how about you, Bob? Yeah, absolutely. I'd love to get his perspective um, both on the national level and uh, the fact that he does cover the Yankees as well. So, you know, his viewpoint on the American League East. Would be great. Be yeah, great to hear. I think he's he's gonna have a unique perspective on the the East Coast stuff and maybe commiserate a little bit about the Yankees. Obviously, for for me, the Twins are much worse than the Yankees, but I think both teams had much higher expectations than than where they're playing right now. So, uh, I, you know what? I think I said it was May nineteenth <laughs> earlier in the show. It's May twentieth. I've already lost a day, which you can probably understand <laughs> having having covered this team. But you know, hypothetically speaking, let's just say it's it's mid to late July, we start getting close to the trade deadline. We're thinking about how the O should handle things. You know, you're coming into today, Orioles in a virtual tie with the Red Sox for first place. Orioles with one fewer loss and one fewer win. First of all, Bob, are, are you surprised to see the Orioles where they are at, at this juncture? No. No, I'm not. I'm not. I, I mean, I figured that bullpen in that offense – as well as the fact that the the American League is not you know it's pretty it's pretty even across the board for the most part except for a couple exceptions um I figured they would at least be in it you know I'm not saying I was expecting them to be tied for first at this point but I was expect I figured they would be they would be contending at least how about you yeah I I agree yeah I think so too and now big big road swing coming up starting late tonight very late tonight in the eyes of the people in the East time zone. Not so much for you in L.A. because that's where the Orioles 
are going to be starting tonight against the Angels, a three-game set. This is a this is an Orioles team that went through, I think, let's see, seven uh, seven-game winning streak with uh, with the Twins being right in the middle of that two games. Supposed to be a three-gamer, but weather canceled one of those games, pushed it back to July. But went on a pretty hot streak, and then have lost three of the last four, including one at Detroit. Um, excuse me, versus Detroit, but at home, but still taking three out of four from the Tigers and then dropping two out of three to the the Mariners, who I think in some respects are the West Coast version of the Orioles so far this season. What, what's been your read on the Mariners and, and how, how did you feel about how that series went? You know, that was, I, was, I wasn't necessarily surprised to see the Orioles drop two out of three to the Mariners. I was surprised at how badly they were they were beaten in that series. They were mm-hmm. outscored nine, nineteen to seven, including they lost one game ten nothing and one seven to two. Um they did win when Tillman was on the mound. But I actually I actually kinda figured they would beat up Wade Miley in the series opener and uh that just didn't happen. That was the ten nothing loss. So I mean the Mariners have been playing very well uh, kind of, kind of surprisingly. I mean, I know some people thought that the Mariners would be good uh, last year, and that this is just sort of a, you know, they were a year away or something from contending. But uh, I was not. I'm a little surprised to see them this good, especially considering Felix Hernandez not has not been the Felix Hernandez we know. Um, but you know, they have been. You know, they, Robinson Cano has been a driving force there. He's back to looking like the player they thought they were getting. Um, Nelson Cruz is good. Kyle Seeger's good, and uh, and their defense has been better up the middle uh, with Leonis Martin. They they brought over from the Rangers um, has has helped a lot there. So so you know I don't think there's any shame in dropping two out of three to that series. I think the Orioles are still fine. Um, you know they've lost three out of four, but that one that the first loss out of that three out of four stretch was to the Tigers a series in which they they did pretty much dominate the Tigers in that series. So, um, yeah, I guess that's where I'm at with that. Um, I guess looking ahead really briefly to the Angels, I have been watching the Angels because they just played four games against the Dodgers. They had a home-and-home, and and they kind of dominated that series. The Angels, they they were terrible most of this year, but they've been playing better lately. They They swept the Mariners in Seattle, and then they took three out of four from the Dodgers in a, in a home and home. So um, they've been playing better. So that'll be interesting to watch. Yeah. I just don't know what to make of the angels. The rotation obviously in shambles with Jared Weaver throwing 82 miles per hour and having a trade for Ulysses Chassin from the Braves. And uh, I really like Nick Tropiano. I don't know if the, the O's will see him in this series. I believe he just pitched. I think they'll probably miss him, but not a huge name and, and not a guy who's actually been overpowering people. He just had some pretty good results, pretty good stuff in his pitch FX profile. And so I've been kind of keeping an eye on him and, and seeing where he's, where he's headed. You made an interesting point with the Mariners series. Yeah. I thought they might rough up Wade Miley a bit more than they did. And then I was a little surprised they got to Taiwan Walker, who is probably their best guy going right now, which was just saying a lot because Felix is still Felix again, a little bit of struggles with Felix in terms of walks, but you know, for the most part, he's kept the results moving in a positive direction. But, yeah, I, I would have guessed that the those would have gotten to either Nate Carnes or, or Wade Miley. Instead, they get to Taiwan Walker, and that just kind of feeds the narrative that you can't predict baseball, and that's kind of that. So, it's uh, yeah, I don't think there's anything to get down about with these those having lost three of the last four. You know, it's just kind of a 
an arbitrary pulling of the series. You you can you can defensively lose two or three to the Mariners. You can obviously take three or four from the Tigers and feel pretty good about that. So I'm I'm not too terribly worried about anything going on right now. One, one thing that we wanted to do, and I I, I kind of teased it, and then we backtracked a little bit. Uh, let's let's hypothetically say we're we're in you know late July. You know everybody wants to kind of think about what kind of moves you would make around that time if if you're still in contention. You know you're maybe you're, maybe you're five games out. Red Sox in first place, but she have one of the wild card spots. And again, that's that's a team actually the the Orioles are tied with right now. And and, and like like you'd expect, there's there's gonna be multiple teams. Rotation. You and I both know that this minor league system is not very strong. I've written about it at length, and I think you've probably grown accustomed to hearing about it nationally. That you know, there's there's not much going on here. There's not going to be a lot of starting pitching available, especially within the price range of the Orioles. Have you started to kind of hone in on any names you think they might look for? I know that one that I've looked at is Julio Teheran of the the Braves. I'm skeptical that they'd make him available for something that the Orioles can afford based on his age, based on his skill level and how much success he's had at his age. Again, he's kind of up and down. But is is there any sort of names that you've kind of started honing in on or anybody that you've looked at? Or do you think it's still kind of a wild card situation where you maybe need another team to fall out of the race or something? You know, I, I think you you stated the, the problem very clear very clearly. And I've I've kind of been looking at names names too, and Tehran was one I looked at initially as well, but I've kind of looked at it more as a process of elimination first and Tehran was one of the first guys I crossed off the list kind of kind of because of the issues you mentioned I mean he's he's 25 years old he's relatively affordable I believe he's owed about 20 million dollars 28 million dollars over the next four seasons which isn't bad for a guy you consider your age so he's he's affordable he's under team control uh, through 2020 if if the team were to pick up there's an option for 2020 and he's and he's good. Um, and the, the problem is, as you stated, is the Orioles just don't have a lot in their system to offer in return. I mean, they have MLB's top 100 pipeline players. They have one player in the top 100, and that's Hunter Harvey. He hasn't pitched since 2014, and he's number 81. So if you're a team like the Braves looking to deal Tehran, you know, I, I I just feel like they're they're going to be looking to a lot of other potential sources, a lot of potential other trade partners before they come around to the Orioles there. Um, I guess I'd be curious to know what you came up with. The, to me, it seemed like the most likely options are, are two of the guys over in San Diego with the Padres, mm-hmm. James Shields and uh, Andrew Kashner. One, because cause Shields is, is expensive, and I'm sure the Padres wouldn't mind getting rid of that contract if the Orioles, you know, the Orioles might not have to give up as much for Shields if they were willing to take on all of that contract. He's owed another $63 million over the next, over, you know, three seasons, including this one, plus a a big, huge $16 million option for 2019. Um, Kashner should be available. Kashner's much more affordable, but, but he's going to be a free agent at the at the end of the year, and he just simply hasn't had great results. So I would think he would be available because of that. The question is, do you want either one of those guys? That what do you think of that? Well, yeah, that's that's the 
thing when we talked to Joe Sheehan a couple of weeks ago, it was just if you're not going to get somebody to push the needle, what are you really doing? And like I've teased before, you could get Ricky Nolasco, you could get Tommy Malone, two guys that I'm very familiar with with the Twins. But again, they're not going to do they're not going to do anything that's going to push the needle forward for you in any way where they're starting a second or third playoff game. You, you, I think you've already got the guys in Tillman and Gaussman who are going to start game start games one and two in what, whichever order you prefer. But if you, you got to find someone to start game three and four, and especially if you drop, if you drop one of the first two, you need somebody that can keep you in the game. And you know, I don't think they trust. They, maybe they trust Giovanni Gallardo if he gets healthy, but they, they definitely don't trust Ubaldo Jimenez to make that kind of start. And then there's, you're not making, you're not letting Vance Worley make that kind of start, no matter how good he pitches as a swing man. He's still got his right. limitations as a, as a starter. Uh, the thing about Jaheron that I keep coming back to is, you, you know, you kind of can go back back and forth with the pendulum effect of will they or won't they. Honestly, uh, I feel pretty confident they won't shop him, even with how bad they are, just because at 25 and at an affordable deal for as many as the next four seasons, we have no idea where this team's going to be in four seasons, but we also have no idea where Tahiran's going to be in four seasons in terms of you know pitchers just falling off the map. And so, you know, if they if they deem it to be intelligent to trade him, it might make sense and they can get a bigger offer. But at the same time, it wouldn't surprise me to just see them hold him because of how good he is, how young he is, too. And so I think at this point, they would be in the mix of, you know, asking for a king's ransom. You know, you're, you're not talking a package like you would ask for for Corey Kluber a couple years ago or anything like that. But you're still talking about multiple top hundred prospects, which which might out of hand disqualify the the Orioles based on what you said. But if, if for some reason the Braves had interest in Hunter Harvey, again I think that's selling low just because he has nothing on the tape in the last year plus. Uh, I still don't think I'm really interested in doing that. Just you know, you're depleting an already weak farm system. You're getting a guy who's who's rather good. I, I don't know. It just seems risky. I just I can't imagine you're going to sell the Braves on him, and you still probably need more pieces. Uh, it just it just seems like kind of a convoluted situation where uh, I think somebody else can step up and offer more. Uh, I don't have a team in mind, and again, I'm still probably firmly riding the fence that they ever move him in the first place this season. You know, maybe maybe in a subsequent season or two. But honestly, right now where I'm where I'm sitting at, I just I don't really see Tahiran as an option. Shields, you know, he's owed an awful lot. It's going to be interesting to see if he – I think he's actually got a, an opt-out that he can opt in on based on how he's pitched, and he might be one of the first guys to actually opt back in instead of huh. instead of actually opting out. Uh, the, market, the market is – I want to say I remember him having an opt-out after this year, and I could be wrong, but if the market is, is weak – he can opt out and probably get more guaranteed money lengthwise. But if he opts back in, he's still guaranteed a whole ton of money from San Diego the next couple of years. The the weird dynamic there with me is if he can't pitch well at San Diego, which is, you know, one of the best pitching parks in the entire uh, mm-hmm. big leagues, you're you're asking for an awful lot for him to pitch well outside of there. And if the ball's mm-hmm. flying at Camden Yards, man, I tell you what, I'm not liking James Shields there. Right. I, I, I agree with that. I actually I was curious about that, so I looked up his numbers at Camden Yards, and I was surprised they're not as bad as I was expecting them to be. I think I'm, sure. my my perspective is colored by the fact that he has not pitched that great since he since being in San Diego. But it is, yeah, he has a 3.81 earned run average, uh, 1.19 whip at, at Camden Yards career. Um, 
Does that mean anything? I don't know if that means anything, but, well, yeah, <laughs> but I was a, curious to see. Sorry, go ahead. Oh, well, I mean, he, you know, you're looking at a different era too. I mean, he was really great with the Royals, pretty good for the most part with the Rays. Uh, you know, a little up and down, had times where he was a little bit more hittable than you'd like, but by and large, a very good pitcher with them too. And he just doesn't look like that guy anymore either. So there's that to, right. to factor in as well. He is 34 years old with a, a lot of money still owed him. So a lot of money and a lot you, of miles because he's uh, he's yeah. throwing a lot of innings too. What do you think of Cashner? I just never know. I always feel like that's a guy who I always expected a little more out of. You know, I'm, he was part of the Rizzo trade, wasn't he, to begin with? I think he was the uh, I believe so. Anthony, I think the Anthony yeah. Rizzo trade, which obviously the the Cubs have to be laughing all the way to the bank on that one. Um, you know, the stuff is there, and I just I, I wonder where it falls flat because there's times where he doesn't strike anybody out. There's times where he walks too many guys. There's times where there's times where he is unhittable. There's times where he's super hittable, and it feels like. None of it all really comes together at the same time. I, I kind of feel the same way about Danny Salazar at times, but his stuff, his raw stuff is clearly better than, than Kashner's. I just, I don't know. I, I think we're getting to a point now where someone will take a chance on Kashner probably as a free agent and make him into a reliever and he'll just start blowing people away. And, you know, you'll have to convince him to make that move. I just, I don't yeah. know that I see him as a viable starter above and beyond what they already have if you had some reason to believe you could go like Ray Searidge or Don Cooper on the bit, you know, right. and then re- revamp something he's doing, whether it's in his delivery, where it's where he stands on the rubber or on the mound. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm interested uh, in that, yeah. but it depends on the price too. If you could get him for a song, and then turn him into something, that's that's good. I mean, you're not turning him into something to flip him because he's gonna be a free agent. And you can't give him the QO or anything like that. Right. But there's there's something to be said about the value of having a guy for a couple months if you're in the middle of a race and and you know in this hypothetical situation if you're five games out you need all the help you can get so uh, that's you know that's the yeah. kind of situation where I, I I might be listening I might be more interested than the average person but that doesn't mean that I think he's he's definitely an answer or anything. You he's a really interesting guy and he's kind of frustrating. Um, I've seen him in person this year and. The stuff you could fall in love with the stuff really easily. He's throwing high nineties. His stuff moves. It's not straight. It's move, and you want it moves, and you mm-hmm. wonder why why are why are the results not better than what they are? I mean, yeah, the command is an issue. He's walking over three and a half per nine this year, um, and that the trends are bad. The ERA, the FIP, the WHIP, the walk rate are all trending in the wrong direction over the last three seasons. Right. Um, oh, and the the other thing is, is he's on the DL right now with a hamstring injury. <laughs> it doesn't but, help anything, does it? So, so that's another thing to consider. I mean, you you would expect by the time the trade deadline rolls around, that won't be an issue, but you never know with a hamstring. Hey, but, hey Bob, uh, let's do this. Let's let's take a quick yeah. pause. I think our guest is is in tow, and we'll we'll introduce him, bring him in, and talk a little bit about CBS Sports, River Avenue Blues, and some Yankee stuff in addition to the Orioles on the warehouse. Baltimore Sports and Life is dedicated to analysis and discussion on the Baltimore Orioles, Baltimore Ravens, and the University of Maryland. The site has a team of writers providing coverage of those teams and houses live streaming content weekly. Join the conversations on the message board, like BSL on Facebook, and follow BSL on Twitter. Okay, you're back here on The Warehouse, episode number five. Brandon Warren here, joined by Bob Harkins, as always. And I believe we have on the phone lines Mike Exista. Mike, are you with us? 
I am. Am I saying your name right? Yes, you are. That's a tough one, I know. <laughs> uh, Mike, first of all, good to chat with you. We're former colleagues at Fangraphs. You're doing some big things over at CBS Sports, uh, River Avenue Blues, and a, a lot of cool stuff there. How, how's the season going for you so far? Busy, as always. It's uh, It's been a fun season so far. Kind of uh, some surprising things are going on, I think, and that's that always makes it exciting. Yeah, I like that the idea that you can't predict baseball and, and that we get to live it every single day through the spring, summer, and into the fall and kind of ride that roller coaster ride. And it's uh, it's a blast, even even for you and even for me, I think, with, with both of our teams limping at this point. Mine, obviously, maybe limping with both legs and yours just with one. <laughs> so you're plenty, you're plenty familiar with the division. What has been your current evaluation, you know, top to bottom, you can kind of get a, a feel for it, but maybe it's not even close to where it's going to end up. Well, how have you evaluated this this division through, you know, roughly 40 games for all five of these teams? Yeah, I'm a little surprised that it's um, so top-heavy. When I when the season started, I looked at the five teams, and I kind of thought they would all stay bunched together for most of the season. But the Red Sox and the Orioles have separated themselves a little bit. I thought eventually somebody would step up like the Blue Jays did last year and kind of run away with it. I didn't think it would happen this soon. Right now it looks like a two-horse race, and if one of the other three teams are going to get back into it, it's got to happen really, really soon because they're just going to get left in the dust otherwise. Mike, uh, Bob Harkins here. Thanks for coming on today. Um, if, if, if a team is going to make that move, which team do you think will be most likely to pull that off? You know, I still think it's the Blue Jays. You know, the offense has not been not been nearly what it was last season, uh, but the rotation has been really good. The bullpen is kind of a mess. But I, I feel like the offense, you look at some of the, like the Rays and the Yankees, and they don't have a strength like the Blue Jays can have with their offense. And I feel like it's only a matter of time until Bautista really starts hitting and Canarsion really starts hitting. Uh, so I think if, the, if one of those three teams is going to make a run, it'll be the Blue Jays because their offense is just – not going to be this bad all season. You know, it hasn't been horrible, but it just hasn't been what everybody expected. Yeah, I think the Twins are going to awaken that sleeping giant. We saw a home run from Encarnacion last night on the first pitch after Irvin Santana had walked Josh Donaldson. And they're kind of tweaking some things there in Toronto, too, with Batista hitting leadoff last night. As a brief aside, Mike, and kind of a selfish thing on, on my behalf, what's been your evaluation of Aaron Hicks so far for the Yankees? Uh, it's been really good lately. You know, when the season started, he was he was the fourth outfielder, which everybody expected. But the plan was to play him more than a normal fourth outfielder, and that it didn't really happen because the Yankees struggled to score runs in April. So George Girardi just kept playing his regulars. He kept playing Carlos Beltran and Ellsbury and Gardner because he needed his best players on the field at all times. And once Alex Rodriguez got hurt. Yankees were able to DH Beltran, play Hicks every day. And once he started playing every day, he's been really good. I mean, he's probably been their best player since he started playing every day. He's been great on defense. Uh, the one thing that's kind of surprised me a little bit is that he, he uses the whole field. I thought he would be just like a, maybe not a dead pull hitter, but he definitely goes the other way more than I expected. And he's got surprising power, I think. I mean, he's, his I think he leads the Yankees in exit velocity. It seems like every time up he hits a rocket and – A-Rod's coming back within a few days. You know, the talk is maybe tomorrow he'll be activated. Once that happens, the Yankees have to keep Hicks in the lineup. He's been one of their best hitters, and 
obviously he's a piece for the future. You know, Beltron's going to be gone as a free agent this offseason. they got to find a way to get Hicks in the lineup because he's just been so good. The team defense has been so much better with him out there instead of Beltran. They have to play him. They owe it to themselves to give him more playing time, figure out what they have in him. You know, he's hitting like 360-something since he started playing every day. That's not going to last. But they still have to see what they have here. He's been really good. Switcher is hitting from both sides. He's playing great defense. He's giving them some speed. It's like everything they're lacking. You know, they're a slow team. They're kind of all pole hitters who hits on the left side. It's a totally different look than what they have. So uh, he started really poorly in April because he never played. He was playing like once a week. But now that he's playing every day, really getting a chance to see what he could do. And he's been really impressive. Mike, you said uh, a minute ago that uh, it's been a season of surprises, and I agree. I, I've got my own thoughts on on um, who I think the big surprises have been. Uh, I think put the Mariners up there for one of them. But what do you think? What what has really stood out to you so far? I didn't think the White Sox would be this good, and uh, I thought it would be improved because you know you look at the the infield they ran out there last year was terrible, and they getting Frazier was a huge upgrade at third. I think that. One thing that's kind of getting undersold is the defensive improvements with, with all around the infield, getting Garcia out of right field. I buy them as a legitimate, <clears throat> a legitimate contender. They're in first place now, but I think they're they're not one of these fluke teams that just, you know, really started off well and they're going to fade back. I think they're here to stay. I didn't think they would be this good, uh, this good at all, but I thought they'd be better. Also, I mean, I think everybody's surprised by the Phillies, but I think the Phillies are definitely – they have the look of a team that, okay, they started hot and they're going to fade eventually. But, you know, they, they've been impressive. And when you're rebuilding like them and you see the young pitching they have, the fans should be excited, even if, you know, maybe understand that, okay, this isn't going to be uh, a season-long thing. We're not going to be in contention all year. Mike, you cover baseball broadly for CBS Sports. You cover the Yankees pretty dedicated for River Avenue Blues. What is your preference as far as covering a team individually versus evaluating the game on the whole, or how do you how do you differentiate between the two, and which do you prefer? Um, you know, I think I I enjoy covering every team more than I. You know, it's, this is a tough thing to to answer because they both have their they both appeal to me in different ways. With the covering the Yankees, focusing on the Yankees allows you to get maybe a little bit deeper and more familiar with the players, and you could kind of see things pick up if you're only watching a team, you know, two or three times a week. But I also like being able to cover the entire league and see all the things that are happening out there because, you you know, you can sometimes get tunnel vision when you focus on this one team and you miss everything else that's out there. And, I mean, baseball's a lot of fun. There's a lot of really cool stuff going on, and I like to be able to touch on all of it. How do you balance that time-wise? I mean, I know I have a hard time sometimes myself. <laughs> um. It's hard. I've gotten pretty good at, at managing my time. You know, I mean, writing for Review Blues doesn't really soak up too much time. When I first when I first started writing about baseball, if I wanted to write like a thousand word blog post, it would take me like two hours. Now I can knock it out in like twenty minutes if I know what I need to write about. So I've gotten gotten just better at writing overall, better at managing my time. And CBS, it's. Um, you know, it's not like a, I'm given assignments and I have deadlines or things like that. I'm, I could write whenever, you know, whatever I, whenever something needs to be written about. You know, if there's something I want to write about in particular, I could kind of write on my own schedule. I'm not on a hard deadline, so I have a lot of flexibility there. You know, I sometimes 
you know, sometimes there's just not enough hours in the day for everything, but it's, it's manageable. You know, I feel like if we ever shut down River Avenue Blues, which I mean, eventually it'll happen at some point, but whenever we do it, and I'm going to have more free time. And I feel like, what am I going to do with this free time? Because all I want to do is watch baseball. And, and I don't know how to, uh, I haven't, I haven't thought that far ahead yet. What writers are must read for you? What personalities do you gravitate towards on the national scene as far as baseball is concerned? Oh, geez, that's a good question. I think uh, Ben Lindbergh, first of all, he's phenomenal. Mm-hmm. Now he's at uh, what five thirty eight now, and um, you know Ben's always been a, been a, probably my favorite. I also uh, August at Fangraphs. Uh, he's been Mike Petriello as well at, at uh, now he's at MLB. Those are probably my three kind of core guys that I read every single thing they write about. You know, really, there's there's just really not enough time in the day to read everything I want to read. I should say in my just my Twitter feed, I have all these things favorited that I want to read, and I'm just never going to get to them because I just, <laughs> I just, there's just not enough time. And that's like the one thing that I kind of wish I had more time for was to read. But there's, I mean, there's so much, there's so much great baseball stuff out there now. You know, I remember when I first started writing, it was kind of like uh, it was baseball perspective was the big thing. Fangraphs wasn't really a thing yet. Uh, Dave Pinto as well was was uh, was uh, <clears throat> had his site up and running, and that was kind of it. There wasn't a lot of stuff to read out there. And that's one of the reasons I started writing because I felt like, you know, I felt like I have some interesting things in my mind that I should maybe share and just kind of jot down. And uh, now it's growing where they're like, everywhere you look, there's a blog and a lot of them are really, really good. And it's just, there's so much stuff to take in. I know what you mean, Mike. I could uh, eat, sleep and just read about baseball all day and maybe have some games on at the same time. Um, MLB.tv, watch four games at once, read four blogs at once, and just uh, <laughs> overdose on it. Um, turning back to the Orioles here, we've, we've been talking about, uh, theoretically, say we move the calendar forward a couple months, and, and what do the Orioles do to address their you know their issues? They've got some problems behind Gaussman and Tillman in the rotation. Their current team on-base percentage is probably not sustainable in the long term. What do you think that the Orioles should be doing? What do you think their management should be focused on in, as we head towards the middle of the season? Um, well, the big issue is the pitching. You know, like they're going to need some more arms out there. You know, Tillman has been really awesome, but I don't think he's going to go the entire season allowing like one home run every 30 innings or whatever it is. And you know, based on his history, he's going to start giving up some more home runs once the weather starts heating up and stuff. So I, I think behind Tillman and Cosman, they need like two other guys to really solidify things. Now maybe Gallardo could be one of them with once he's healthy and off the DL. But you know, like Tyler Wilson, you kind of he's been good, but you kind of worry that you know I don't know how long this is going to last because he doesn't strike anybody out. And, you know, Mike Wright is kind of a a reliever profile where you know how's he going to get lefties out? And Ubaldo Shabaldo, you have no idea what you're going to get on a given day there. And they definitely need. I feel like they need at least one starter. And if Gallardo doesn't come back, they're probably going to need to. They could also do a little bit better in left field, I think. You know, Joey Rickard is – I know he's like a bit of a cult hero and everything, but he's a below average hitter. He's not a good defender. You sh- they shouldn't be hitting him lead off. I feel like if anything, they should just platoon Reimold and Kim. Otherwise, if they're not going to uh, – they're going to need, need to do something in left field, I think, because it's, the more Rickard plays, the, the worse it's going to get. I don't think he's – 
he's some kind of hidden rule five gym. I think he's a guy who just had a really good spring training, a couple of good weeks to start his season, and that's pretty much it. So rotation and and left field, I think, are the two places where they could get clear upgrades, and they're probably going to need to stay in the race all year. Mike, we had Joe Sheehan on a couple weeks ago, and he was talking about how you got to aim kind of high for starting pitching. I feel like we've gotten to a point now, though, where it feels like, you know, if you can find somebody who can start a third or fourth playoff game for you, you're still making progress. You know, you're you're, you're obviously not going out and getting that top of the rotation kind of guy, and, and frankly, you can't pay that price anyway. But when you think of kind of guys that they should aim for, either either naming names or naming profiles – of kinds of guys, you know, maybe it's a salary dump or something like that. What comes to mind for you when you think of, of what kind of guys on the market they should be looking for uh, as we, as we move towards June and July? Uh, I mean, obviously they would love to add like an A's caliber starter, but that's just not realistic because there's none really available unless the A's are going to put Sonny Gray out there. And even if they do, I don't think the White Sox have the pieces to get them because their farm system is not good. All their pitchers just continue to get hurt, and that's that's a problem for them. So if they're going to have to shoot for like the mid-range, uh, the, like kind of the mid mid-rotation starters. And those guys are going to be upgrades because you know Yabalto hasn't been good, Wright hasn't been good. Who knows with Gallardo? And I think with with them, where their 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 current situation may shouldn't necessarily focus on rentals. They should look for players that they can control beyond the season. You know, they did that a few years ago with Bud Norris, and I thought that was, you know, Bud Norris is not great, but he was he was a serviceable pitcher a few years ago, and they got a couple good years out of him before he really kind of melted down. That seems like somebody they should target now, just like kind of a solid number three, four, five starter who's going to be cheap and just not go out and kill your bullpen every fifth day. I feel like if they could get someone like that, and I'm having a hard time coming up with someone like that off the top of my head. Sure. But but they're out there, and, you know, it's going to have to be the, – the free agent trade market after the season is terrible. So they're going to have to make a trade anyway. So you might as well just make it the deadline, get the extra half season out of the guy, and try to contend now. And the question is, are they going to have the pieces to go out and make a trade because the trade market's always going to be competitive, and they're not exactly loaded with top prospects that are going to wow teams and – get them to give up a, a, a starter when starters are always going to be in demand no matter what. Mike, we were talking a, just a little bit ago before you came on about potential names, and one that came up was Andrew Kashner, who, who's got the stuff is there, the results are not. I mean, I mean he's on the DL right now, but, but uh, what do you think of Kashner? Obviously, he's a free agent at the end of the year, so he doesn't fit the – the mold you were talking about as far as being a, a guy you have under control for a while, but taking a chance on a guy like him to sort of maybe take a number three or four spot. Yeah, I think that would be, he'd be a good, a good candidate for that. As good a candidate as anybody who's going to be realistically available. Cashner kind of fits that into that mold of pitchers who have really good stuff, but the results just don't match. You know, that's like old AJ Burnett, Michael Pineda's in that group now. You know, these guys, they have a big fastball. They they had those starts every once in a while where you're like, oh, man, if he could do that more often, he'd be great. But it just it doesn't happen, and it seems like the common thread there is that they throw strikes, but they don't throw quality strikes. They throw too many pitches just in the hittable zone, and and they just can't – that's just a problem that they can't solve. And Cashner's in that group, and I think – you know, he's a rental, he's a free agent. They should probably, the Padres should probably trade him because I'm not sure if he's going to be 
a qualifying offer candidate, and if they do give him a qualifying offer, he might take it. You know, if he gets healthy in time, it's just a, you know, it's a hamstring injury, which is not insignificant, but at least it's not an arm injury. So you feel right. a little bit better about his health. And uh, you know, the Padres didn't trade in Kenby last year, and but I think they're going to. I think they have a little bit more incentive to move Cashner because he might not be a qualifying offer guy. And if, you know, he would make sense for the Orioles because he's just better than some of the guys they have in there now. You know, you feel a little bit more better about adding that depth. And uh, Cashner, you know, I think Cashner's going to be probably, he might not be the best starter trader, but he might be the biggest name. And, uh, you know, we're going to hear a lot of teams are going to want him in the coming weeks. I feel like I feel like Cashner and the White Sox are like a perfect match because they love <laughs> their hard throwers and all that stuff. He just seems to fit their mold perfectly. And, but, you know, obviously more than one team is going to be interested in him. There will be plenty of teams. A lot of teams are going to be pitching, and he throws hard, so teams are going to love him. Hey, Mike, I want to thank you for joining us. I want to ask you one thing before we let you go. What what thing about the Orioles are is going to intrigue you the most, whether it's so far this season or moving into the future? And before we let you go, just, yeah, what, what, what interests you most about the Orioles that we can find out here in the near future? You know, I'm really kind of fascinated by Mark Trumbo. He's gotten – Earlier in his career, he got such a bad reputation for being an impatient hitter who strikes out a bunch, doesn't walk and everything. And kind of, if you listen to him talk over the years and you look at his numbers, he's worked really, really hard to improve his plate discipline. And it's still not great, but he's worked really hard at it. And we're kind of starting to see, uh, maybe it's kind of starting to click a little bit. I don't think he's going to hit 310 all season or whatever it is, but I feel like he's somebody who's working really hard, deserves a lot of credit, and he's always had the power. So if he just, you know, if he just starts laying off a few more sliders away, which he's done, those were kind of his big problem there. You know, even with the terrible defense, he's someone who's going to be worth, uh, he's going to get a lot of money in free agency. I think he's a free agent after this season, but I'm really curious to see how he, if he maybe not sustains this, but what kind of performance he puts up all year, because He's someone who I think could be something like 40% better than league average as a hitter. Hit like 35 home runs. If this plate discipline improvement is real, he's a very fascinating player because he seems very much aware of what, what he needs to fix, and he's worked hard at it over the years, and we're starting to see some of the rewards there. And I'm, I enjoy that. I like seeing players who have worked hard to improve kind of be rewarded for it. Hey, Mike, thanks for joining us. We really appreciate your time, and hopefully we can have you gone again real soon. Sure, happy to do it. Thanks, Mike. Great talking to you. All right, that was Mike Exisa of CBS Sports and River Avenue Blues. Bob, that was a that was a good guest. Great, yeah, great guest. Great national perspective. Great American League East perspective, and uh, had a lot of really interesting things to say. I thought that was uh, he's a lot more bullish on on Cashner than you or I are. Um, mm-hmm. I thought that was really interesting. And I believe his Twitter handle is at M-I-K-E-A-X-I-S-A. Anyway, look for Mike Agzisa, CBS Sports writer on Twitter, and give him a follow. He's a very, very good follow. In our in our pre-show meeting, if you can call it that, Bob, you wanted to talk about entertaining brawls. And the reason it interests me, obviously, is because Jose Batista is in town facing the Twins. So I've got some some interest there, too. But I tell you what. That that brawl between the Blue Jays and Rangers, it's just kind of a I don't I, I almost call it a culmination of what happened last year in the playoffs, but I feel like culmination means something's finished, and I, I'm just not convinced this is finished. But what were your thoughts first of all on that one, and then you had a fun one you wanted to share besides? 
Yeah, well, first of all, Batista's in town. He can take a punch, so clearly. So be careful. Be careful <laughs> with that. Um, no, I. the thing that I, I agree with you absolutely, I don't think this is finished. I mean, I mean, how could this be finished from a Blue, Blue Jays perspective? They had, right. Their guy got hit in the ribs for a bat flip, and then it <laughs> started this whole thing. So, and then he got punched. So I don't, from a Blue Jays perspective, I imagine this is not over. And that's kind of how these things things go. There was a, you know, that, that punch, that might, was probably the best single punch I've ever seen in a brawl. I agree. But but uh, it's not, that was not the wildest brawl I've ever seen. There was one in, uh, back in 1990, Mariners Brewers, and they had had something going since spring training where they'd had a couple of bench-clearing things. So there was something kind of under the surface percolating between those teams. And uh, earlier in the season, I think it was in May, uh, Dave Valley of MLB Network fame, former Mariner catcher, was uh, trying to turn a 1-2-3 double play with the bases loaded. And with his back foot on home plate, Billy Spires came in and took him out and wrecked his knee. And so fast forward a month or so later, the teams met again in the kingdom and they had a huge brawl that started um, after a Mariner uh, player was hit by a pitch. Tom Treblehorn, the manager, was, was in the middle of it, not a peacemaker. He was an instigator. He was swinging. He was screaming at people. He was basically acting like a total maniac. And there's a guy for the Mariners, an infielder named Jeff Schaefer, a career 125 hitter, comes flying in, takes Treble Horn and body slams him to the uh, to the AstroTurf. It was just sheer pandemonium. It was one of those ones that gets crazy, then it stops for a little bit, then it gets crazy again. And a uh, fu- couple of funny things I remember about that. One was amidst all the mayhem, Ken Griffey Jr. and Robin Yount kind of found each other and just kind of hugged each other kind of writing it out, both knowing that, okay, <laughs> we're the stars. We're not going to get hurt in this insanity. And so we'll just kind of hold on to each other <laughs> through this whole thing and write it out together. Um, and the other thing was that Jeff Schaefer, somebody found him later and asked him about that brawl. And he said it was <laughs> the major league highlight of his career, the highlight of his major league career, career 125 hitter, Body slamming Tom Tom Treblehorn was his major league highlight. So let's hope that was not uh, Odor's major league highlight. I suspect it won't be, but at the same time, yeah. Uh, I think my favorite brawl, and I don't even know that you would consider it a brawl or whatever, was the the Nolan Ryan and Robin Ventura uh, dust-up at the mound where basically Nolan put a young Robin Ventura in a headlock. And I think Ventura was maybe like 24, 25 at the time, and Nolan Ryan was about 42 and yeah. old man muscles took down the young buck. So that, that was one of my favorite things. Um, <laughs> one thing I wanted to ask you about before we, before we take off here for the week is, as I recall, it was Matt Bush who threw at Batista. Is that, is that ringing a bell? Yeah. Yep. What, uh, that seems like, that seems like a really dangerous thing to have happen. This is a guy who was in prison less than a year ago. Throws 97, has he's literally no um, veteran presence, or he, he's not vested in the league or anything like that. I just felt like that was ethically probably not the way to go about it. I, I understand why it was done that way. I tell you what, I just uh, I do not like how the, the chess pieces were handled in, in, in that particular situation. 
No, that whole the whole the way it all went down did not sit well um, with the Blue Jays, and I think I think among you know kind of major league old school guys that did not sit well. I was talking to a former Dodger uh, the other day, and he told me there, and I've heard this elsewhere as well. There's no way you wait till the last meeting of the season, you know, in the eighth inning of a game, to to make your point. You make it, he said, you make it the first time you see each other, and then it's over with. And they, he, called like it, the, they, he called it Bush League. Bush it League sounded like a Friday news like dump. <laughs> yeah, kind of. Kind of like that. Yeah. So, and then, you know, to say, you know, I, I, I assume, I haven't actually heard on this one way or the other, but I assume Bush did not do that on his own. I assume somebody said, okay, r- rookie, go, you know, you need to go do this. Yeah, I think so. Well, my cats are calling out to me. I got to unlock them from the prison that I put them in for while they're podcasting. (laughs) So that's all we got for you this for episode number five of The Warehouse. Hope to see you all next week where we'll have a great guest for you. Have a great day and a great weekend. Have a good time, everybody.